Hi, this is Brian Standing, host of the Monday 8 o'clock Buzz. Thanks so much for listening to the program. Hope you subscribe to our podcast. And if you really like what you're hearing, consider donating at wortfm.org. Go to YouTube and search on videos for dogs and you'll get hundreds of results claiming to keep your pooch from getting bored or lonely while you're away from work. Many of the videos feature point-of-view perspectives of dogs running in fields, chasing squirrels, or playing with each other. But dogs can't upvote videos on YouTube, so no one really knows what our furry companions really think about these creations. Freya Mowat is a veterinary ophthalmologist at the University of Wisconsin who's tried to answer the question, what kinds of videos do dogs like to watch? Not to get more internet hits but to better understand dogs' vision and what's going on inside their heads. Freya Mowat joins us now in the studio. Welcome to the 8 o'clock bus. Thank you so much. It's really exciting to be here. So uh, this, I mean, this sounds frivolous, right? I mean, like, what kinds of videos do dogs like to watch? How did this turn into a research project uh, at the University of Wisconsin? Yeah, it's a great question, and I get this question a lot, and I, I sort of <laughs> ponder it myself just because it does sound frivolous and pops eye. Um, but what I will say is there's a hardcore scientific basis for it, which was us trying to be able to test vision in dogs in a more meaningful way. So if you go to the eye doctor, you read an eye chart, you can verbalize the letters. You say A, E, F, G, L, Z, and they can tell you how good your vision is just by how many letters and the smallness of the letters that you read. The dog obviously can't read a a sort of wolf equivalent um, so we have to wave our hands at a dog's face and wait until they f- sort of blink or flinch or move away so it's it's really a very very crude way of saying yes or no can a dog see my hand coming towards their face and so as a clinician it's very frustrating because people will come in with their pets and explain subtle visual abnormalities um, in the real world and we cannot translate to that to any meaningful sort of data or test in the in the clinic and so um, we uh, in a pandemic sort of sit down moment with my undergrad students who were sort of wanting a research project we said well maybe we should find something that dogs find interesting and then we can modify that in, a, in an environment in the clinic and we can ask those dogs to watch in uh, something that's interesting and perhaps we can determine how well they see so the first question was well what do they find interesting because we can't present something and then say whether or not a dog watches it or doesn't watch it if they don't find it interesting in the first place so really it came from a place of visual assessment interest and then also this this increase like you say in in youtube and perhaps other streaming services that are designed specifically for dogs and a lot of my sort of um scientific brain felt uncomfortable with the science behind that I, di- I didn't know there was much science and there really probably isn't there's a lot in the in the hearing space so we know that dogs like classical music that's much more mm. calming to them uh, solo piano music if you want to calm your dog is actually clinically proven or at least scientifically right? proven um, to be calming and we didn't know the same for video so now are all dogs do all dogs even pay attention to video I mean my dog at home right doesn't pay any attention to television if there's like a dog barking on the TV, you know, it's an ordinary, if there's a dog barking outside, she's right there, right at the window. But if it's on TV, she's like, eh, I don't need to pay any attention to it. I know it's not real. Um, so how do you deal with that if you're dealing, looking at a dog who may be suffering some vision, you know, uh, deficit, but 
isn't going to look at a video no matter what you put on it. That's a great question. And I mean, we're very far away from replacing that test in the clinic with anything useful. I think we have to establish, we weren't able in the survey to establish what percentage of dogs actually watch TV at home. I'm, I'm on the same page as you with my dog. He, when he was a year old, kind of paid slight attention to a couple of cats on the TV. And then we're like, I've got real ones here. Why would I look at the ones on the TV? So I think there is definitely a social enrichment piece that in real life, provides different amounts of enrichment than the virtual space. Um, I will say, though, that we have brought some dogs into the laboratory. And if we're providing them with entertainment on a screen that is the only thing in the room, um, no balls, no people, we're you know, completely blanking them except for presenting some fun stuff on, on a screen, they will engage. And, and dogs that owners say do not watch at home will actually watch for us in the lab. So I, I think there may be a social deprivation piece where we might be able to kind of encourage them to watch because because that's what's available. And uh, what have you found so far? So what, uh, what kinds of things do you find that, that dogs in that situation do engage in? Yeah, so the survey and also our, our laboratory experiments have sort of shown that dogs like to watch their own species, just like I kind of laugh that we also like to watch our own species too on Netflix or whatever we watch it on. Um, and dogs really, 95% of dogs watch animals um, if they do watch, and then 95% of those dogs, so a large proportion of those dogs like to watch dogs. So dog content, um, you know, it, it's it's clearly a very engaging subject, but then there are a whole swath of other animals. as. You know, livestock, wild animals. Surprisingly, squirrels and humans rank lower than you might imagine. Mm. So I think squirrels must provide in the real world a very different experience to squirrels on the TV. Um, so, yeah, it, it, that's an interesting kind of finding is animals rank by far the highest in terms of content. And, and do reactions vary by breed? Are, for example, herding dogs more interested in, say, sheep than, <laughs> uh, than they would be, than other breeds might be? Yeah, that's a great question. We probably didn't have quite enough responses. We had over a thousand responses, but of course, as you sort of slice the pie into smaller and smaller chunks, we didn't go down quite that far to say content by breed type, but we did say that different breed types have different types of interest. So um, if you're a herding dog, a sporting dog, or a terrier, you're probably more broadly sampling the virtual space than perhaps another type of breed. So yeah, we are able to say that there probably is some differences in behavior, um, but not quite uh, to the level of content. And, And owners would share favorite TV shows and things like that. But again, it was so intermittent what we got information wise that we weren't able to make conclusions. I think we also have to Um, make the comment that this was subjective so this is an owner's perception it's also what's available to the dog right so we're not randomly giving dogs every possible content we're saying you watch this type of content and your dog chooses to 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 engage with it as well now you you mentioned that you're not a behavioralist you've sort of like gotten yourself into this sort of field but your primary focus is looking at the dog's vision and trying to assess their their visual capacity how important is vision to a dog. I mean, we're taught, you know, that we're, I, we often hear that smell is far more important to a dog than, than vision, and their hearing is extremely acute. And how good is their vision, and how important is it for a dog to, to have a, good eyesight? That's a great, great question. And it is, I mean, I have to put myself in 
context here to say that they're not us. Yeah, they don't have um, they don't have to read and write. Um, they don't have that really fine acuity quality vision that we do to be able to kind of drive a car and make fine motor skills and that kind of stuff. But you'd be surprised at how important vision is for certain types of dog at least. So there was a study done out of um, California a few years ago where they actually put kind of defocusing spectacles on working dogs, so hunting um, dogs, and they um, these were field trial trained Labradors. And just by putting um, kind of blurry goggles on these dogs, they reduced their performance dramatically. So they are using, if you imagine a field Labrador that's watching in the distance for uh, you know a, a, an animal to be dropped out of the sky and then they have to go kind of find that animal the first part of that behavior is is visually mediated they have to spot where it was they have to kind of use their vision to navigate and then probably close up they're using things like hearing if there's a live animal but certainly smell um, to detect where the, the animal landed so I think it's a combination and their world is probably very very rich in the multi-sensory space you know they're using all sorts of senses at the same time I know my dog you know he will definitely see things far away perhaps better than he sees things close up um, so if he sees a dog sort of halfway down the street he freezes and kind of watches them for a minute so there's definitely a world a part of the world in dogs that is very visually important to them can dogs see in color? They sure can. Yeah, they actually are like colorblind people. So if you know someone, mostly men are more commonly colorblind. But if you know someone who's um, red, green, colorblind, that's that's a dog. Um, so they have a blue sensitivity and then they have an, a sensitivity to a color that's somewhere in between green and red. So their world is a bit browner, more sepia toned than we are, um, but they certainly have color vision. Yep. And so how close are you to sort of developing an eye chart for dogs? absolutely long way off um, okay. I certainly can't say we'll be rolling out some wonderful tests that vets can use anytime soon and it may never get there I think for me I'm a researcher for the most part as well as a clinician and for me it would be great to have a tool that I can use that's much more sensitive than that hand waving test for us to be able to track vision over time my big interest is in aging and so if we can start to understand visual behavior as dogs age that will be a really important piece of that multi-sensory track because um, just like we age, um, you know, our dogs in the home also age. And our idea is that perhaps the dogs that live by us can actually tell us what risk factors and problems we may encounter in the future. So we're trying to start to study uh, vision and other kind of neurologic activities in aging dogs so that we can start to understand our own. And what kinds of eye ailments do dogs suffer from? That's a, a great question. I would say if I put my clinician hat on, I'm seeing a lot of the smush-faced dogs come into the clinic with corneal, so the front part of the eye problems. So pugs and bulldogs and things like that? Yeah, French bulldogs we see a lot. We saw two French bulldogs the, the end of last week for surgery, so they have to have sort of uh, quite major uh, general anesthesia surgery to fix uh, ulcers in the eye, and that's partly because their corneas just don't have as much nerve ending as, uh, as a sort of longer nose dog and they're also very very prominent so in terms of getting risk for damage they're you know they're more out there um, so we see probably that's one of the most common things is a corneal ulcer and then you know certain purebred dogs are susceptible to certain types of inherited eye disease so we see some vision problems um, that are a result of, of mutant genes or damaged genes all right we've been speaking with veterinary ophthalmologist Freo Mowat thank you so much for joining us on the eight o'clock bus